Welcome to the Collective Perspective. This is a collaborative program with friends that share an interest in the truth as it is, not simply as we wish it would be. Tonight we have a special presentation of the Collective Perspective. We'll be interviewing featured guests, The Venus Project. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm not raining here, so you may hear noise in the background, or we may get cut off. I have satellite connection. It's very noisy here. Can you, is that interfering? I, I do. I hear a little bit. It sounds like either rain or traffic in the background. It's raining. I, I just want to mention that when we get invited to speak in, at like a university or something, we reject being on panels with other people because first we say we need an hour to introduce this direction for at least 45 minutes because it is so different when you make certain statements and other people are all giving their ideas. It sounds preposterous without understanding the whole concept and you can't get very far in describing it. So I, it might be better to do it without a panel. Is that Unless the panel is familiar with the Venus Project. Yeah, unless the panel's familiar with the Venus Project. Yeah, they all are familiar with you. I found out about you through the Zeitgeist movement, as I'm sure many people have. And uh, a lot of people on this panel have found out about you the same way. If you're unfamiliar with the Venus Project, we're going to start with an introduction to what their initiatives are, as well as helping you understand a little bit more about its founders. So why don't we allow the founders to introduce themselves and tell us about where they've come from, where they're going, and what they have planned for the future. Well, I'm Roxanne Meadows, and I've been working with Jacques Fresco, who founded the Venus Project and for about 35 years now. And we're working on many different projects. You can take a look at thevenusproject.com to learn more about it in terms of the projects we're working on. You want to give an introduction? Yeah, I would say that the, the Venus Project is an attempt to put an end to war, race prejudice, unemployment, and most crimes. And the way that can be done is if the majority of people have the information as to what the Venus Project is, they can think about it. But if they don't have that information, I will present it now. We hope eventually to inform people in how the Venus Project operates. The Venus Project calls for a resource-based economy instead of the use of money. With money, you can pay people off, you can sell drugs. When you do away with the monetary system or outgrow the need for it, then you don't have the corruption which is put forth by money. With money, you can pay off senators, you can buy people with it, you can have gambling, you can sell drugs without the use of money. When we do away with money or surpass the need for it, that's the end of corruption, paying people off. And so what I'm saying is that the Venus Project calls for declaring all the Earth's resources as the common heritage of all the world's people. In that way, when few nations control most of the Earth's resources, you're going to have territorial disputes. You're going to have invasions and wars. Only when people work together toward a common social arrangement for the benefit of all the world's people 
and then to eventually do away with all the artificial boundaries that separate people. We want to unify the world into a global system. That's essentially what the Venus Project is about. We want to update society to our latest technologies, essentially, and our understanding of human behavior. We have the resources to feed, house, and clothe everyone on Earth. We don't have the money to do any of those things. So the money system is really obsolete. It's everybody is in debt to everyone else. It promotes scarcity and planned obsolescence. We don't need that system anymore. It was devised before the scientific method even. So we want to evolve to a resource-based economy where all goods and services are available to everyone without the use of money, barter, credit, or servitude of any kind. It's really, it's not politics that we need. It's the intelligent management of the Earth's resources. That's lacking. And the Venus Project proposes an entire socioeconomic plan to update society. In looking at some of the plans that obviously all of us on this program support, I also wanted to make sure that I was having a well-rounded look at what others might think. And in looking at some of the Venus Project naysayers who are against the idea of doing away with money, uh, my personal thoughts are that I think sometimes it's difficult for people to imagine what can be because they're basing their outlook on what has been. What would you say to those that question the idea that we could live without money or trade? Well, if you don't want war, you don't want poverty, you don't want unemployment, you have to change the way we manage our social affairs. And what I'm offering is a possible way out of this dilemma. In fact, most crimes can be eliminated when the public has access to the necessities of life without the need for money or a price tag. Money doesn't represent anything that's real. You can't eat it. You can't run your car on it. It's a fictitious thing. It doesn't even represent the effort that people really put out in terms of how to reward certain people for certain efforts that they put out. It creates elitism. It, it creates corruption, greed, embezzlement, crime, aberrant behavior. They don't know how much the system that they live under, the monetary system, affects their very way of thinking. Everything that you learn is to perpetuate this system. All the values you learn in school is to perpetuate this system. And this system is very detrimental, even to the wealthiest. They don't understand how well they could live in a resource-based economy. If goods and services are made available and people have access to whatever they need, they wouldn't be equal, their needs are different, then you wouldn't have you wouldn't have to put bars on your window if you were wealthy. You know, if you drove the, the best car with the best brakes and the best automatic systems, but somebody can't afford a brake job, they can hit your car and kill you and your kids. So it, it doesn't pay for society in a resource-based economy to make anything that wears out, breaks down, and to be detrimental to people. We call accidents technical negligence. 
And we tend as a designer society where most of the accidents are removed. You have more people hit, killed in automobile crashes than you do in wars. It's, you know, you put, you put everybody in, in, inside a car to drive themselves under all sorts of conditions. And what do you expect? So you really want to design it out of the scenario. So you don't have cars, but you have transportation units that can take you safely any place in a city. What would you suggest to those who perhaps have become so accustomed to the feeling of freedom of being in a car? Uh, for myself, being from Southern California, I can tell you that while there is carpooling initiated in Southern California, the grand majority of people really enjoy the, the freedom of being in their vehicle alone, going somewhere without really considering where that fuel is coming from or what using that fuel is feeding systematically. I think you've been very brainwashed, and I think your options are very limited as to what you call freedom. And so with what the Venus Project promotes, please tell us a little bit more about how one would use transportation. Okay. And you can picture Radio City, New York, if you know what it's like. Radio City, New York has an elevator system. And you press a button, and the elevator will let you out on any floor you wish to be let out of. In other words, in a skyscraper, you can choose to walk up the steps if you want to, or you can take an elevator. An elevator can take you anywhere within that skyscraper. Except in the old days when people used to operate elevators, they had difficulty making proper adjustments to bring it to the right floor. They had to work the gadget up and back a little bit. Today, if you press 30, the elevator stops exactly on the 30th floor. So the transportation in an entirely new city system would be like elevators stretched out throughout the city and cars that are, they're not individual cars, but they're transportation units that take you anywhere within that city that does not pollute. You know, we're plundering the planet for the things we think are our freedoms, but instead we're getting lung diseases and other diseases and certain Certain countries are, are totally out of the loop and, and having mass starvation because of the oil situation. Yes. Uh, of course, I, I would rather answer the questions directly if people were to ask it. If I can answer questions that they ask, please don't be polite. If there's anything you feel that may not work in the Venus Project, please bring it up. Well, Matthias and Celine may have questions to ask as well, but Leanne just asked a question. She states, as a single mother of four children who tends to struggle more often than not, the vision painted by the Venus Project appeals to me greatly. As a human being who is tired of war and crime and corruption perpetuated by those governing us, the Venus Project appeals to me. But there are so many out there who call the Venus Project a scam. They can't envision the future the Venus Project is striving for. What is the base level one can achieve to help change the mindset of those who simply cannot envision the Venus Project as a viable solution for a more cohesive world? If you wish to think about the Venus Project in an honest way, picture the public library. 
People fought for a public library because people could not afford books. Once the public library was installed, anyone, whether they're working or not, could access any book on any subject. Next door to the public library, we have a camera center where anyone can check out a camera, just like the public library. Next door to that, we have musical instruments. And you check them out just like the public library. All things are available like the public library to everybody without a price tag. If you do that, there's no basis for crime. No one's going to hit you on the head and steal your musical instrument if they have access to it. Do you understand that? I definitely uh, understand that Leanne is answering right now. While we wait for her answer, there was a... An interesting conversation that my friend Matt, who is on with us right now, presented last night. He presented a scenario in which if someone goes into a bank to get some money and leaves and another person goes waiting for them outside the door and hits them over the head to take that money, that's obviously based on greed or the necessity that they might have. So without money, greed may still exist but the behavior may not become so complicated? Yes, uh, you stated it very well. In other words, if you have access to anything you need without the use of money, there's no need to steal, there's no need to rob people, there's no need to hurt anybody. The system that we have now is based on keeping things scarce to keep the prices up. They even destroy food products in order to keep prices up if there's too much food of, of a certain product produced. But the Venus Project talks about producing abundance as quickly as possible. When, for instance, if it rained gold, everybody would take that gold and have a greedy behavior coming out of the monetary system. They put it in their closets, they go out and sweep it in their cellars and their attics. But if it continued raining gold or even $100 bills, after a month or two, you'd have no use for it. And you'd be sweeping it out of your attics and your drawers. So if you have an abundance of a product, if you, if you have scarcity, that enables you to put a price tag on it and create a price for it. But the air you breathe is free, and nobody's charging you any money for the amount of breaths you take for a day. It's because we have an abundance of it. But water used to be abundant, and nobody charged you. Today, they're charging you for water because it's becoming scarce. They're trying to own it, different industries, and they're running into trouble with that. So if we can create abundance as quickly as possible by using science and technology, then the, the behavior of greed, it, it, it doesn't get generated within the culture. Your behavior is generated from the environment that you're raised in. In other words, if you don't understand that, if you were raised in Australia, you speak with that dialect. Were raised in the South, you speak with a Southern accent. It should be obvious to most people that if you were raised in Germany under Hitler without access to books, you would be a Nazi. If you were raised in Japan, 
should have the mannerisms of the Japanese and the language of the Japanese. We all reflect our culture, which is very unfortunate. The belief that we do not depend on our culture is a myth. You know, you bring up some really great points, and I want to make sure that others get a chance to ask some questions. But Leanne says, absolutely. I wonder how one begins to change the mindset of those around us who shoot down every argument for the absolute viability of the Venus Project. I come across so many people who can't be called anything other than brainwashed, and convincing them to even begin to see the world containing different possibilities has proven to be difficult. That's a major problem because... Yeah, as you probably all realize, that language is subject to interpretation. When you read a book or you talk to another person, they do hear what you say, but it comes out of their mouth in relation to their background and values. It's very difficult to talk to people today. You're talking at them unless they've come to learn. When they go to a university, they have to leave their thoughts outside and listen to the presentations of the medical profession or chemistry or whatever subject you study. The scientific disciplines are not subject to interpretation. When engineers talk to each other, they don't say, I think I know what he means. They know exactly what he means. When you use mathematics, chemistry, physics, engineering, the language has a uniform meaning and is not subject to interpretation. This is project number one. We have to devise a language that's not subject to interpretation. You have to remember sometimes also when you're talking to people about new ideas and you threaten their own ideas, sometimes they just come back with a one-upmanship and an ego type of response and they're not really inquiring or asking questions. And all through history, any new ideas have always been shot down like women's rights. They used to have rotten eggs thrown at them when women marched in the streets from other women. They fought every single new advancement in society in regards to human rights and child labor and black rights. Every new invention just about, they always have people, even within the field, even the scientists during the days of the Wright brothers said that man can't fly, and the Wright brothers never read their books, so they just went right ahead and did it. So if you listen to those people who keep saying it's not true, it's a scam, it can't be achieved, it's a utopian dream, you'd never have any progress in any field. You know, you mentioned uh, conditioning, and had one been raised in... Uh different parts of the world, they would have different dialects, or if they were raised in uh, Nazi Germany, they would have a different set of beliefs. I wanted to question that. I definitely agree with you that conditioning plays a, a very large role in what we think of ourselves and who we think we are. One of the beliefs I've had about myself in my lifetime is that no matter where I lived or was raised in my lifetime at any point in history, I... Deep down, I, I've always had a really hard time accepting the ideas of prejudice and can't see myself having ever been raised in a time when I would have thought it would be okay to think that someone of a different sexuality or skin color or nationality was somehow wrong 
or in a, in a bad way different from me. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on that, uh, you can't control people unless you make them alive. When you, when you manage a country, whether it be a monetary system, fascism, communism, socialism, you have to condition the people to uphold the social institutions that exist. If you didn't do that, you couldn't control people. That's why it's called divide and conquer. If you say, I'm Japanese, I'm proud of it. I'm Polish, and I'm proud of it. I'm Italian, I'm proud of it. You're separating people. All people need the same thing when you think about it. They need clean air, clean water, a relevant education, decent housing and clothing. They all need the same thing. They're not that different. Your background that conditions you. Sometimes people think you can tell people something else and they would be different. It's really your background that shapes your behavior. If you were raised in an area where you grew up with kids from different races and different nationalities and different skin colors and you got along with them and you liked them, that would override possibly what other people told you were good or bad about people. So you had a certain experience that in, was a kind of um, set that that notion and your beliefs and that verified your beliefs through the experience. But if you were raised in the South where people were really, really bigoted and didn't like blacks and went and shot them on weekends just for fun, but your your parents were prejudiced and they were very good to you, very warm people, very kind to you, but told you the blacks were no good and would harm you because they really felt that way. You wouldn't like blacks unless you had a, a childhood friend that was black when you were young. Um, Matthias has a question for you as well. Fire away. Hi. Um... You had mentioned creating a formal language where people would be unable to misunderstand uh, your, your ideas having to do with the resource-based economy. I find talking to people about ideas like the Venus Project um, is quickly compared to the idea of communism. And personally, I think that viewing ourselves as one organism is the only way of achieving a world without war and corruption. Uh, what is your response to people who fear the idea of communism based on history and encourage them to feel confident in a resource-based economy? Okay. Communism has banks and uses money. It has armies and navies, social stratification, prisons, police. We don't have any of that stuff. We have nothing in common. Communism is also for the labor class, and we're for every person. You know, in today's society, if you give more money to the labor class, which they might deserve it, rightfully so, but then they jack up the price of the car. So there is no winning, no win-win in this society. So in a resource-based economy, everybody would have access. Do you have any other specific questions? Direct your question directly, and I'll try to answer it. If you have a particular point you want to make. 
Celine, you had some questions asked, did you not? Yeah, my question really is, other than education, what are the next steps that we can take to help push towards this resource-based economy? What can we do now to help push towards that? I want to tell you that politics was good 100 years ago. They don't understand. Everything that you have, your electric light, your washing machine, your cooking range, your refrigerator, your automobiles, your airplanes, are all technical. We don't get anything from politicians. A politician never increased the production of food. A politician never diminished the amount of cancers growing in people. A politician doesn't know anything about medicine, geology, ecology, the history of civilization. They are merely verbalists, and they can't even talk to each other. So it's not through politicians that we can get something done. We ask you to go to our website under Get Involved and look at the different projects that we're working on and people are joining us. We also have, um, if there's nothing that you can do or that you want to do with our particular projects, such as our PR project and our writing project and our lecture teams, then maybe you'd like to help with um, global activism. We also have our um, Venus Expressions team that are making videos and writing poetry and making uh, films and posters and brochures to help the activist team when they want to pass things out in the streets or make displays on the Venus Project. So there's a lot that people are joining us with. We have different chapters around the world also. Or if we don't, you can see that on our website under Get Involved. And if we don't have a chapter in your area, perhaps you'd like to start one. And it's very important to us that people learn about this direction first so they know how to talk about it and they can answer questions. We have over 100 questions and answers on our website. And on our TeamSpeak, we're holding, uh, we're, we're holding uh, like just like little seminars where people are reading Jacques' books and listening to the, his tapes and then discussing it so they understand this better. We also have tours here on Saturdays. And... We have a lot of information for free on the internet and a lot of ebooks, but we're also charging as well because this helps support the project. We have no outside funding. And another thing that we're trying to do uh, with, um, to help promote this direction is a major motion picture. We are asking for donations for that, for the script writer to work with us on the script that we have in mind. And, um, to help get this off the, off the ground. So there's a lot of things that you can do, but mostly become aware of what this project is so you can talk to others, because that's very important. If you get our book, The Best That Money Can Buy, and read that, you'll have a pretty good idea of what the Venus Project is about. If you know nothing about it, it's very hard to think of how we handle various aspects. There's no basis for crime in a society where people have access to things. There's no basis for jealousy or envy because you can get anything anybody else has. That would really be, be the beginning of the civilized age. We're really in the tail end of the medieval times when you have to chisel off of one another. We're all chiseling off of one another. We're all out for ourselves. You get a toothache, somebody makes a couple thousand bucks. You hit, hit your car, somebody makes a few more thousand bucks. There's no need to do this 
with our technology and our capability of our of producing abundance with our technology today. We can produce vehicles that don't hit each other but have proximity sensors on them. Sometimes you're driving your car and it says, drive carefully, slippery when wet. We put abrasives in the highway so it's not slippery when wet. Sometimes it says drive carefully, school children crossing. Well, you don't want those signs. You want to make crossing safe, that's all. So politicians don't know how to do that. That's what I'm trying to tell you. These are all technical problems. You know, you bring up some really good points, as do the others on with us right now. And one of the challenges that I think we are experiencing culturally, at least in the Western world, is the problem of the myopic outlook of society. So when groups like yourselves, or, or actually there aren't a whole lot of groups doing exactly what you're doing, there are others doing similarly-minded projects, but when you set up the transitional city as you're attempting to do, which will still be based on money initially, what are your hopes for the next 10 to 15 years of how these transitional cities might take effect and how they would affect the societies or the towns around them. Okay. First of all, people are not open to new ideas. They never have been. They've been conditioned not to be open to new ideas, except in cell phones and computers and chips and iPods. They're conditioned there to expect change. You have to raise your society with more scientific information. So they are not brought up in the future to have a right to their own thinking. Remember, most Americans are brought up to believe they should have a right to their own opinion. Let me tell you what's wrong with that. If your sister lived across the street from me and I see a hundred guys coming out of her apartment, I can have all kinds of opinions. When you ask me what does she do, I would say I don't know. That's the most difficult thing for people to say. I used to ask people, do you think we'll ever get to the moon? They said, no, not in a thousand years. I said, is that your feel? They say, no, that's my opinion. But we don't want the opinions of people. We want, do you have information in that area? And if you don't, just say, I don't know. Do you think man will ever get to Mars? I don't know. It's not my feel. We have to learn how to say, I don't know and give an opinion about everything, such as the Venus Project will never work. Point out what you think won't work and give me a chance to answer that. I don't want your opinion. I want your questions. You were asking about the cities in the next 10 to 15 years. You know, that, that just depends, and, and what we expected with those, it, it really depends on what people do in regards to that. Jacques and I have no power, we have no money. Jacques has spent all his life arriving at this direction, working with people, changing them, working technically to show what the cities could look like, what efficient, clean, resourceful cities could look like that would be a pleasant place to live. He has developed what the future could be like technically, but we have no access to the media it depends on what other people do to get this information out there as to whether it will come about or not. People ask, when are we going to build these new cities? We're always working at it. We're always trying to make contacts.
but it depends on how many other people are aware of this and work towards it. So we can tell you what we would like the cities to be. They've already been designed. We're working on animations to introduce them to people. We have blueprints, we have models, we have renderings. We, we would like to make a movie to show what life in the city would look like and what the value system would look like. Hopefully, if we got the first city going, we, it would be like a university city. It would be a city where people would come to work on this direction, making films, making books, making videos, doing magazines, radio, television, and working on the automated systems for the next cities to automate as many cities as possible. Perhaps have a, have a theme park of the future there to show what a resource-based, a full-blown resource-based economy of the future would look like. But, you know, things are, oh, excuse me, and then people would come to that city from all over the world and go back and do cities in, in their area of the world. But people, things are falling apart all over today, and they have, they're protesting, and they don't like what's going on, but they have no real alternatives. The Venus Project is a real viable alternative, and it, not only what, it's not just wishes, what the cities technically would look like, it gives you a physical reference of that as well. We also feel it's not enough to criticize your society. If you just criticize it and you don't offer an alternative, you leave people in midair. Leanne has another question. She says, have you come across certain areas of the country or world where people seem more prone to support the Venus Project? And do there seem to be concentrated pockets where people seem to be a little more aware than their counterparts in other areas? All over the world, people are very interested in the Venus Project. It's just the United States. It's very difficult to get on NBC, CBS, because they're owned by large corporations, and they're afraid of new ideas that might threaten their positions of advantage. You understand that? For example, GE owns... NBC, or CBS rather, and anything that would threaten their existence would not be put on the air. Unfortunately, they own armament companies as well, so they make a lot of war, lot of money out of war. So you see push for war all over the industry, all over the media. I know during the Iraq war, anybody who was talking against it was pushed off the air, even in universities. They didn't let any of that go. They were glorifying war and killing. And they, it, was very, it was very controlled. They wouldn't show the coffins coming back. For example, soldiers are killing machines. They're just taught how to kill, how to drop bombs, how to fly airplanes, how to direct guided missiles. If we of the Venus Project had anything to do with it, all the soldiers would be sent back to school to become problem solvers. We have a lot of unsolved problems, cancer, heart disease, scarcity, and so people would become problem solvers. That's what it's all about. It's not about killing people. The society you live in is very old, and it reflects very old values, and it is not subject to rapid change. Forgotten by my mother, my country, she leaves me here, alone and abandoned. 
Circumvented by a system designed to pay mind to the wars of these rich men. Oh, 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 God grant me some assistance. What is this insistence dismissing these visions of equality? No matter, I'll carry on. But dear God, I'm thanking you giving me strength that I can live through this end. Dear God, I'm praising you for giving me courage that I can be true to my